Good morning. Hey, whether you're in-house or joining us online, we're so glad you're with us today. And it uh, looks like we're going to get uh, the feeling of that weather that's coming. We all know and we all be loved, right? Um, so I want to talk about our passage today. We're going to be in Acts 22. And we're going through the book of Acts. And the, the passage we're going to look at today is kind of really super contemporary to what's going on in our culture today. Uh, some of you have heard, probably most of you have heard of the cancel culture, right? So the cancel culture is basically when somebody makes a dumb statement or maybe it's not even a dumb statement. They make a statement and it's viewed by others as dumb or uh, irreverent or uh, just off base or bad or evil or whatever it is. They look at that statement and they say, that's a horrible statement. And not only that, it's a horrible person and they need to be canceled. That we need to, we need to uh, take them out of the social platform they're on and silence them. We need to uh, take them out of their job, whatever it is. In other words, it's like, how dare you say something like that? It's so wrong. And oftentimes it's not a terrible thing. It's just, it just goes against the cultural mores of our current culture. And so you would say a person's been canceled and everybody is against them on this one side. We don't like that because it seems like it's a lot of censorship. It seems like that one of the things that's important in our country is, you know, the free expression of ideas and, and that, you know, the cut to shut that down doesn't seem right. And it's probably better have a dialogue than shut it down or just to demonize somebody. But that's where our culture is at. And I think as Christians, we go, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't like it when people cancel other people out and they just have an opinion. Maybe I don't agree with it, but I just don't like the idea that they just go ahead and cancel them out and send other people after them and say horrible things about them and treat them like the enemy. I, as a Christian, don't like that. And yet, I think you may do the same thing. Let me ask you a question. When people on the other side of the aisle, whatever that is, whether it's political or the social spectrum or whatever else, they hold divergent beliefs from you, how do you view that person? You view them as the enemy? Do you want them to be silenced and quiet? Do you dismiss them as a person? Do you wish sometimes bad things to happen to them? I, I think that's kind of canceling them out. And sadly, Christians and churches are as much a part of the cancel culture as the rest of our culture. I think we get that from swimming in a polluted fish tank that we call our culture. So we're going to look at in Acts chapter 22, and we're going to see the Apostle Paul addressing a group of his people, his Jewish people, and they're basic. He's going to make one statement. He's going to make one statement. And they're tracking with him because he's going to share his testimony. He's going to share his personal testimony with the Jewish people. He's going to say, this is who I was, but this is who I'm now. This is what I was doing. This is what I'm doing now. And then he's going to say, he's going to make one statement. And they immediately want to cancel him. They don't just want to cancel him. They want to kill him. 
So this whole cancel culture, it's not something new. It's always been around. But we're going to look at it. We're going to say, how as a Christian should we respond to this cancel culture? All right, so turn in your Bibles, if you would. We're going to be in Acts chapter 22, as I said. And we're going to look at this whole idea of uh, cancel culture, if my pad just wants to flop around on me. Acts 22 let me start reading at verse 1. And again, I'm going to do what I've been doing over the last number of weeks where I'll read a little bit, make a few comments. And the reason I do that is I want everyone to kind of, you may have read through the book of Acts, you may not even know where the book of Acts is. It's in the New Testament after the Gospels, if you don't know that. And by the way, there's a number of people probably that are either in-house or online that don't know that. And that's okay. Because we're all going to learn something today, right? We're all going to take the Word of God and we're all going to learn something today. So we're going to be in Acts 22. I'm going to make some comments just so that we can kind of all be up to speed a little bit and on the same page. Here we go. Brothers and fathers, listen now in my, to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Brought up in this city, I studied in Gamil and was thoroughly trained in the law by our, of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Now, Paul's going to prove this. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death. Again, that phrase, the way, is referring to early followers of Jesus. They were called people of the way. Paul's saying, I persecuted them. I persecuted followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them in prison as, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them, that's the council, the chief, the high priest, letters from them to their associates in Damascus and when, uh, went there to bring people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So get what Paul's saying. He says, I persecuted those followers of Jesus. I, I had them locked in jail, and some of them even were killed. Okay? And that wasn't enough. I went to Damascus, and I had letters so that I could bring those people back from Damascus and have the same thing happen. So Paul basically said, you want to see, a, if Paul could say, if you look in a dictionary under zealot, my picture's there. That's who I was, okay? But Paul is describing to the people his B.C. life, his life before Christ. He's saying, that's who I was. That's the, ze the zealousness that I had. That's what I did. I found followers of Jesus, and I threw them in jail. That's what I did, okay? All right, we track it. Now he says, and then I had this moment with Jesus, all right? About noon, I came to near Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Let me just stop there. We've been talking about Paul, and you need to know that before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. After his conversion, he was, took on the name Paul. Okay, so before his conversion, when he was persecuting the church, he was seen as Paul, uh, Saul. And then afterwards, he became Paul. And that's 
kind of how we refer to him. We've referred to him as Paul. So it's the same person. That's all I want you to know. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Now let me just stop there for a minute. So that means that the people that were with him, they saw the light, they heard a noise, they heard something like a voice, but they didn't understand it. This means it wasn't in his head, it was something that physically happened on the road to Damascus that day, okay? And so uh, he said, what should I do, Lord? I asked, get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus, and there you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. All right, so he's blind now. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at, the very at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear his words. Hear, hear words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all the people of what you have seen and what you have heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So Paul basically at that moment does a 180. He receives his spiritual sight, but he also receives a new heart. He's spiritually born again. And this is a transformation. So Paul goes from, he does a 180, he goes from persecuting the church now to planting the church. And he plants churches all over the, the Mediterranean, in every city, Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica, and he's planting city, or churches all over these cities wherever he goes, okay? So he went from being a persecutor of the church to one who planted churches, all right? Um, so... What is going on here? Basically what Paul's doing is he's sharing his testimony. He's saying, this is who I was, this is how I grew up, a Jewish boy, and faithful to the Jews, taught as a Pharisee, persecuting the church. I had this, this, this uh, moment on a road and it changed my life. I did a 180, I repented. And I now, instead of persecuting the church and persecuting Christ, I'm now one of his followers and I'm planting churches, all right? So that's his testimony. That's his story, right? And then he says this. Then it says this. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Now what did he say? Well, he said, uh, when we go down, let's jump back a little bit. He says, I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said. Leave Jerusalem immediately because the people will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that when I went from synagogue to, from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. In other words, what Paul's doing here, he's saying, I was absolutely all in on persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ. And we know that we go way back in the book of Acts, that was a couple months ago where we talked about the stoning of Stephen. 
Paul basically, it says, he was Saul then, was standing there and approving of the stoning of Stephen. He was there. He says, so he's basically saying, is, I was zealous. I mean, there was no one as zealous as me. You guys weren't out stoning people. You guys weren't out calling people into prison. I was doing that. All right, so he's speaking to a Jewish audience here. This is where he's going to get canceled, okay? So he says, I stood there giving him my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Now notice this. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this, what? That I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. That sounds like cancel culture, doesn't it? Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. <laughs> right? Now, what is Paul doing here? Some of you are aware of this. There was a hostility in that day between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles were seen as dogs. And some of you are going, oh, that's well, that's sweet. No, no, no. We're not talking about those pets that you are part of your family. We're talking about like rats or snakes. All right. Some of you have rats and snakes as pets. So that's probably not a good... Ex think of like the vilest animal that you can think of and say, that's what they're thinking. All right. Because that's what they're thinking. All right. And basically they said... You are not, you know, you're, you're going to the dogs. You're, you're, and, and it was like, it was anathema for them, for Paul to say that. And they were so livid. Look at what happens. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken back into the barracks. He's not just raising a ruckus. He's creating a riot. The people are ready to lynch him. So look at, what the, the, look at what the centurion does, the commander does. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Hey, see, the Romans didn't understand the, the idiosyncrasies of their religion. They, were, they, were, they didn't care, and, but they just knew there was a ruckus. They knew there was a, a potential riot, so they grabbed the offending party, Paul, and they bring him in, and notice they stretch him out. Um, they stretch him out and flog him. They're getting ready to flog him. And Paul said to the centurion, the commander standing there, is it legal for you to, to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? So in that day, Roman citizens had rights. And they could not just be, you know, flogged or beaten up, especially by Roman soldiers. They had their day in court. And so Paul, the commander did not know that Paul was a Roman citizen. When he finds out, he goes, oh, okay, pause. <laughs> let's, let's wait on this. And so Paul threw that out knowing that he, had, uh, he could play that card. And they were, so, so that's the end of what we're going to go through. But what I want you to see is this. I want you to see that Paul is, is sharing his testimony. Everybody's cool with that. They're saying, all right, gotcha, with you with you, with you. And then he says, and then God told me to go to the Gentiles. And basically, they went bananas. They went crazy. They just said, shut this guy up, get rid of him, cancel him, 
stop him. That's just wrong. And, and there was a riot. So, what does this story of Paul, his testimony, what implications does that have for us today? All right? That's what we want to look at for the rest of our time. Paul's spiritual story shows us three things. Number one, that Jesus doesn't cancel people, and neither should we. Jesus doesn't cancel people, and neither should we. If Jesus was going to cancel anyone, it could have been, it should have been Paul, right? What does Paul say to, what, Paul in his account, what did he say that Jesus said to him on the road? Paul, I'm taking you out. <laughs> You're the enemy. You're a bad guy. And I'm just going to smite you dead on the road to Damascus. And then the church won't be persecuted anymore. I mean, think about that. That's kind of an easy, quick solution, right? Just drop them dead. Just, but what does God do? What does Jesus do with Paul on the road? He turns him around. He changes his heart. He gives him blindness because he wants Paul to see. You thought you could see, but you were really blind. When I restore your sight, when I give you a new heart and I restore your sight, you're going to see clearly for the first time. And you're going to see you're clearly, you clearly were wrong. In other words, instead of smiting him, striking him, and canceling him, he turns him around. I think that's an incredible thing. So I'm afraid that we as Christians are really, we hate this cancel culture, but we're just as guilty as everyone else in doing it. And let me give you... Jesus didn't come to cancel people. He came to forgive them. Look at, we love this verse. Who doesn't love this verse? We see it at every football game or golf match on a placard. John 3, 16. Right? You seen the signs? And you go, but you know, 90% of people don't know how to look that up in the Bible. But good for you. Sorry, that was kind of snide. Um, let me read it to you because you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish or shall not perish, but have eternal life. We love that verse. You know what the next verse says? God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, cancel the world, cancel people, but to save the world through him. So if Jesus didn't come to cancel people, what are we doing? What are we doing? Jesus came to save the world, not condemn it. If Jesus uh, chose not to condemn the world, and he hasn't given us the, mess, the ministry of con condemnation, even though some people think that's one of the spiritual gifts, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Let me ask you a question. What's your response when you observe sinful behavior, what's your first response? When you see or hear something as absolutely from your perspective of a clear understanding of the scripture, you say that is absolutely abhorrent to God and abhorrent to the Bible. What's your first response? Is your first response 
condemnation or supplication? Do you want to point your finger and condemn, or do you want to fall on your knees and begin to pray for that person? What's your first response? How would, how, how would Jesus want you to respond? Do you remember the story in, in, in uh, the Gospels where the religious leaders bring this woman caught in adultery and they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they say, we caught this woman. She was in the act of adultery. Think about that for a minute. How does that happen? How do you find a person in the act of adultery as a religious leader. You just got walking around and you go, whoa, whoa, we got to, no. I mean, and, and here's the other part of it. Where's the guy? Where's the guy? I mean, if she was committing adultery, it stands to reason he was too, right? Doesn't it take two to commit adultery? I think it does. He's not there, but she is. So they throw this woman at Jesus' feet and they say, condemn her, cancel her. And Jesus says, you know what? Here's what we'll do. Instead of doing that, let's do this. Those of you that have no sin, you be the first to cancel her. Go ahead, pick up a rock and you cancel her. They said from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you anymore, but go and sin no more. <laughs> I didn't come to condemn people. I came to save people. Shouldn't we reflect our, 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 our Lord? That he didn't come to condemn people. He came to forgive them. Here's the second point. Paul's testimony teaches us that Jesus does forgive sinners, and so should we. Uh, the phrase is just so dramatic. Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. How many times have we heard people in social media make some similar statement about someone who made some statement? Rid the earth of them. They're not worthy to live. They didn't do anything. They said something. They're not worthy to live. That's what the world culture that we live in, that's we, we go, I don't like that, but do, do we do the same thing? You see, what, we, what, we've done in, what we've done in our culture is we become self-appointed judges. We sit on our, our high horse and we look down at people and we say, they deserve to be canceled. They don't deserve to live. They're bad, they're wrong. And that's, we wanna cancel them. We wanna say, you're no good. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you haven't been called to judge. Why is it that we have been so clearly told not to judge that we think we should? Instead, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to help people be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Paul writes that down in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us and that's what he's doing. God is making his appeal through us to the lost world of how to be reconciled to God through his son Jesus Christ. We're the one that are making the pitch. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our job, to be reconcilers. That's what our job is, not to be judges condemning people. Can you agree that you're not a good judge? If you think you are, look at the person next to you and ask them, am I a good judge? And they're going to go, no, you're not. (laughs) You're not. (laughs) One of the reasons we're not good judges is we all have blind spots, right? Like, I think I'm a good driver. And I look around and I see all these bad drivers around. They're bad. They're awful, they don't stop, they don't come to a complete stop, they run red lights. They don't turn their turn signals on, they don't turn their turn signals off. They're bad drivers. And now and then I'll go on one of my diatribes with Carol in the passenger seat. And I know she's just going, and you're a good judge of a good driver. I don't think so. That's why Jesus said to people like me, Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. You know, it's Matthew to me. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck, the little part in your brothers. You're not a good judge and I'm not a good judge because we have blind spots. We think we see clearly but we really don't. We think we understand but we really don't. We judge in a moment and condemn and say the earth would be a better place if you weren't on it. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Do you want that? I don't want that. In fact, it says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, you know, those who have you know, forsaked us, you know, that have done us. So we're saying in the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, God, forgive them as... I forgive others. That's not a good deal for me. I want God just to forgive me out of mercy and grace. I don't want to forgive based upon how I forgive because that's not going to work well for me. But that's what he's saying here. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's saying the same thing. He's just stretching it out a little bit. He says, okay, so you want to play judge? Fine. Go ahead, sit on the throne. Go ahead and judge. Throw your stones. Do all that stuff because in the same way that you do that, that's how you're going to be held accountable. Good with that? Okay. Here's the third thing. Jesus did forgive his enemies and so should we. While Jesus was hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 22, it says this. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, smite them with all of heaven's fury. 
That's not what he said. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus died for his enemies. He died for us. He forgave us and calls us to forgive others. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Do you want to know why you can stand before him without a single fault? It's not because you are good or good enough or you've lived a good enough life. It's because Jesus took your sin and gave you his righteousness when you called upon him by faith and now you have Jesus righteousness not your own the only thing you bring to the cross is your own fallen sinfulness that's it let's just stop sitting on the judgment seat it doesn't fit us forgiveness is not granted conditionally Jesus said father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing He didn't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. He didn't wait for them to repent. He just forgave them. Secondly, forgiveness is not just for the elite followers of Jesus. Some of you think, well, I think forgiveness is for the, the, I'm the the, um, middle class believer. I'm not the upper class believer. That's for the the soldiers of Christ, the, the real hardcore believers. For me, it's like eh, hit or miss. No, no, no. The day that you bow your knee to Christ, the day that you give your life to him because he gave his life to you, the day that you became one of his followers, Jesus says, okay, now today you need to forgive your enemies. Every time, all the time. Forgiveness is not enough. We're called to pray for our enemies. What was Jesus doing from the cross? He was forgiving, but he was also praying. Forgiveness is not enough. We're called to pray over our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, that, that actually works well in our current culture. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. If they're on the other side of the aisle, whatever belief it is, go ahead and hate them. Cool. But that's not what Jesus says because he doesn't end there. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Here's the problem that we're having in the church. We are so much like the lost world that we are behaving like them and the world doesn't see any difference. And I gotta be honest with you, we are not acting like our Father in heaven because when we act like our Father in heaven, we don't choose to point our fingers, we choose to fall on our knees. That doesn't mean that the things that we see people do and say and the way we see our world is abhorrent and and not in conjunction and not in line with Scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But our response and how we respond to people is, 
is just like the world. We cancel people all the time. And it's got to stop. We got to start behaving like God's children. We're not called to cancel people. We're called to forgive them. We're called to pray for them. Especially people we disagree with. We can't just write them off. We can't just say, I don't really, you know, if you weren't on this planet another day, nobody would care. If that ever came out of your mouth, understand it's not from God. You know, um, I was thinking about, like, one of the things I've started doing is I've started thinking about, because we're having, you know, grandkids and some of you are too and you see them when they're real little they're just innocent babies and everyone that walks on this planet began that way and you look at and you say even the people that you see in doing horrible things in the world today whether they're world leaders or people around us and saying doing horrible things one day a couple had a baby and that baby was born innocent with nothing, I mean, I, I, I think it's, you know, born with a sin nature. Don't get the, theological with me, that's not what I'm saying. But they, the parents brought that baby home, for the most part, and it was like innocent and couldn't take care of itself. And then with people who are evil, something went terribly wrong. And they grew up to be horrible people. But I think about that baby. That little child before they could walk, before they could talk. And I think, that's who they were. And that's where I need to think when I pray. Because here's the thing. Paul was one of the worst threats to the early church. And he became one of the strongest proponents for the church. God turned him on a dime. And if we're going to continually cancel people who are on the other side of the aisle, who don't believe like we do, who say and do bad things, if, if we're going to do that, we are just basically saying the gospel can't help you. It can't change you. You're doomed. And if anyone would been, should have been doomed, it was Paul, but he wasn't. And we're reading about him today. And we've read a number of his letters today. And we're learning from Paul today. Because Jesus said, I don't cancel people. I forgive them. I change them. And that's where our heart should be because that's the heart of our Father. Is there a day of judgment coming? Yes. But guess who's not going to be on the throne? I, re I read the book of Revelation. I read the book of Daniel. I read prophecy. Every time I read it, I don't see your name on the throne or mine. It's Jesus. It's not my job. It's above my pay grade. And it's above yours. That doesn't mean you can't have an opinion about something, but I guess what I'm saying is, what would a person's life be like 
especially somebody that you're struggling with or you hate or you don't like their views or you what would that person's life be like if they knew Jesus and they loved him like Paul what if they had done a 180 and is there still hope that they could it's interesting Paul forgave the very same people who were trying to kill him over and over over and over, people are trying, his people, the Jewish people are trying to kill him. They're getting, creating mobs, they're following him around, they're beating him up, they're leaving him for death. All over the place, wherever he goes, he's always having, it's not the Gentiles most of the time, it's, it's the Jewish people. They're, they're following him around and giving him a hard time. And he forgives them. Where did he learn that? <laughs> I wonder. He says this in Romans. It's interesting that Paul says this about his people in Romans, his Jewish brothers and sisters. Romans 9, I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul basically says, I would trade my eternal life forever if, they, if it meant that they would open their hearts and find the Savior. That's how brokenhearted he was about his enemies. Because Paul understood that no one is ever too far gone for the gospel. And no one is too good for it either. So where are you? Let's not allow ourselves to become part of our cancel culture. Instead, let's lay a foundation for forgiveness and mercy and leave the judgment to God. Amen? Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Uh, Father, we, we can't do this. What I've just outlined and what I've just really pushed, we can't do. Not on our own without the power of your Holy Spirit, without your power and presence in our life, changing our hearts, changing our attitude, calling us out, helping us to get the log out of our eyes. Without that help, Father, we cannot do this. So we pray, each, I pray that each and every one of us would just take a moment and examine our heart and to prepare for this coming week. And help us to catch ourselves when we're ready to cancel. Help us to catch ourselves when we're ready to dismiss somebody. Help us to, can't, to, to just, just not to go with the flow of our culture, but to, to become like children of our Father in heaven. Help us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Help us to pray for our enemies. Stop pointing fingers, fingers and get off our judge's throne because we don't make good judges. And Father, thank you for showing us your word today. Thank you for the powerful testimony of Paul. Help us to live our lives worthy of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.